From bureaucracy's basement to your ears, this is the weekly meeting of the Queen City Improvement Bureau. Each week, the dedicated staff of the Bureau file reports, suggest improvements, and survive off the water that drips from the water pipes into our open mouths. One day, maybe we'll escape this subterranean hell that is this sub-basement, but until that day comes, this city is not going to improve itself. So here we stay, improving things. This meeting is now in session. Wow, it is hot. I can't believe how hot it is down here. It is stupid hot. And as you can probably tell, Aiden isn't here. So I have to do attendance by myself and I'm not happy about that because it is hot. I actually don't even know where Aiden is this week. There's just a puddle in his chair and a note that reads, your name is Paul Deshane. Their attendance is done. No, we don't have quorum. P.S. Help me, I'm melting. Okay. Attendance is out of the way. And while we do not have quorum, we do have a guest. We are joined uh, today in the sub-basement by Alex Burrell, a writer for the Saskatchewan Dispatch. Uh, and also the uh, host and uh, founder creator of the Unmaking Saskatchewan podcast. Hello, Alex. Thanks for being here. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of the show. I'm very glad to be here. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan of yours. Uh, I know you mostly from your writings in the SAS Dispatch and your um, your pithy comments on... Well, Twitter to begin with, but you are now uh, you're now on that other one. I'm a prolific uh, skeeter over on Blue Sky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're friggin' yeah. hilarious there. <laughs> I, I got a message from a friend the other day that said the amount of posts that I have is irresponsible, and that's correct. It is irresponsible, uh, but I will not stop. So, yeah, I'm, I'm nor should there. you. Yeah. <laughs> No, because I mean, it's 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 otherwise pretty friggin quiet over there. If not for you, there wouldn't be anything. <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm glad to hear that I have an audience. I'm glad to hear that somebody's yeah. appreciatively listening. <laughs> yeah, I've been wanting to uh, talk to you in, in a QCIB meeting for a long time because you are, I guess I can refer to it as being responsible for an article in the das- SAS Dispatch titled uh, Sexism. And Sandra Masters' city, uh, which, provocative. Uh, and yeah, I was wondering, well, could you maybe sort of give us like a, you know, a summary? Like, what, what were you trying to get at uh, in, in that piece? I, I mean, the piece obviously came about, you know, talking about the experience Regina debacle, like the absolute uh, yeah. disgracing of the city through that. And one of the things that I kind of recognized from, you know, reading, like we have some actually like really good journalists that are doing good work on on city hall stuff like it's it's picked up over the last few years where we're getting you know good stories and good investigations but i didn't see anybody really stringing together like all of the things that masters had said and done regarding this specific topic of sexism and this you know arose where she kind of used sexism as a, a tool and a, and a weapon um, in a, in a way uh, to defend her city manager uh, from you know these very very credible and very reasonable accusations that the city manager had failed to include you know this funding for homelessness in the draft budget, mm-hmm. and I was like 
she has publicly like not just you know this is not anything that I had to do a lot of like gumshoe journalism boots on the ground stuff to find where she has has very publicly said and done things that are are very counter to any kind of like progressive gender politics uh that are very counter to any idea of like a city that is safer and healthier and better for women um or you know non-binary and queer people and so i wanted to just put those things together and really show that the the accusation that she was making you know at the, at the time um against councillors leblanc and uh stevens that that they were sexist in in taking uh the city manager to court didn't really have any basis uh in in masters you, you know like she she wasn't coming from a place of credibility and so i i think i showed that there um but that was what i wanted to do and and so i talked to some organizers and i talked to people who had been working in the city and and just it became clear as i was working on the story that like yeah no this is these aren't really credible accusations and they're not coming from a person who can speak credibly on this subject. And I found it to be really like a, a weaponizing of kind of a, a white womanhood and a, and a very white gendered lens. Um, and I wanted people to, to see that, to see it all together in one place, um, these behaviors and these statements that she had made that really just undermined her, her um, accusations against Stevens and Blanc. When the situation arose with the lawsuit, uh, you know, falling out from not getting that funding put into the budget, uh, despite, you know, the previous uh, acting city manager saying it had to be there, uh, it seemed like there were so many opportunities for a way to sort of like de-escalate this situation to search for a compromise. And yet after, you know, that, that, that press conference where she made those allegations of sexism, it really seemed to just like throw gasoline on the fire and make everything so much worse. Like, like, do you, do you have any theories? And I know that this is just going to be speculation, but do you have any theories why someone would, would do that in, in a position like that? I think partly um, it was convenient. Like it was very useful for her politically. Like, yeah, it's through gasoline on the fire, but it certainly distracted from the material problem at the core of that, that we were talking about, which is that we have no funding to get people in homes. And I think the other thing is where Masters comes from. I mean, Masters comes from business, right? Like she comes yeah. from a, a, this place where a particular kind of like lean in feminism and, and a white femininity is something that you spend a lot of time thinking about if you're a woman in that kind of industry, if you're a white woman in that kind of business. And so I think for her, it was not even something that she probably had to think about a lot. I think she probably does believe that there was sexism there. Um, I think there, there's probably um, a little bit of um, I'm trying to think of, of the particular word. Like I, I think there's a bit of cynicism in, in that accusation for sure, but I think mm -hmm. there's some belief there as well uh, that, you know, here are these two male bullies who are coming to bully the new city manager. Um, so I, I think that it was something that was useful for her at the time. And I think it's also something that she probably believes, at least in part, is, is that that is rooted in there and that any kind of accusations against women in positions of power are accusations that come from a place of sexism. But as I, I pointed out in the story, too, 
one of the things that Masters did in, in leveling that accusation of sexism was completely erase Florence Stratton yep. from that um, court action or court filing, whatever. Um, she, yeah. Florence was part of that. Like that LeBlanc took that action on, on behalf of Florence and Counselor Stevens, and she disappeared from the narrative completely. Yeah. Uh, when Masters was talking about this, because that's not convenient, right? Like that's yeah. not convenient for the narrative to have a woman at the center of this, right? And so, you know, like that's where I think the cynicism comes into play, right? Where, you know, maybe Masters does believe in some ways that what was happening was unfair or that what was happening was these two men were ganging up on this poor, very powerful woman in the city. But she also recognized shrewdly that, that narrative is only effective or useful um, for her argument if Florence it doesn't play any part in it. You were one of the people who signed the um, the declaration of the letter about uh, you know supporting Councillor LeBlanc, Councillor Stevens, and Florence with that that legal action. Um, how like it's kind of in the letter, but how would you sort of defend them? Because I think from the outside. Uh, for somebody who isn't like a city council watcher, for somebody who hasn't like, you know, obsessed over this for the last seven months, the, the very obvious narrative is exactly what you said and exactly what Mayor, uh, Mayor Masters suggested. Two bullies pushing around a female mayor and a female city manager. How do you, how would you defend them? The councillors are elected by people. They're elected by people to you know, act on our interests, right? So mm -hmm. they have these constituents that they answer to. Um, they made a democratic decision that the council voted unanimously that this funding was going to be included. They made that decision yep. on behalf of their constituents, one of whom is me. Um, I, I live in Councillor Stevens' ward. And that funding did not end up in the budget. As far as I'm concerned, like, I, I'm not a lawyer. Maybe there are other ways, other better ways that they could have proceeded with this. Maybe there are ways that would have been more uh, congenial. But at the end of the day, I see this as an act of, of democracy, of, of saying, you know what? No, we were elected to do a particular thing. We voted to do a particular thing. Our constituents supported us in doing that particular thing, right, um, in, in saying that this money needed to be included in the budget and the money wasn't included in the budget. And the city count or the city manager is not an elected position. Um, she she was not elected by the people. And so I think that they were within their rights to say, no, like we were elected to do this and we all as a group said unanimously we are going to do this. And the mm -hmm. fact that it wasn't done isn't like you can't push that down the line. And and the other thing, too, is that like this isn't about a swimming pool. It's not about, you know, road closures. It's about people who are living on the streets. Yeah. Right. Like this is unbelievably urgent. It's unbelievably urgent that people get housed. Right. And so that's the other thing that I see with it, too, is is I think that if it was an issue that was less important you know people die because they're homeless people end up with amputations because they're homeless in the cold people like it it is it is a, a life-threatening situation to be unhoused and so if it was something that was I think less urgent I maybe wouldn't be so supportive of taking such a drastic action and an action that I, I think I think Nikki Anderson was probably humiliated 
I think mm-hmm. she probably was. I think it was probably a humiliating situation to find yourself a brand new city manager and suddenly being taken to court. Like I can see from her perspective that she would feel under attack. Uh, I can see from her perspective that she would feel that this was unjust, unfair. But I, the importance, the urgency of the issue and, and the fact that she's not elected and they were elected um, and, and that a unanimous decision was made to include that funding just to me makes it really seem like an, an a non-issue like it she was wrong <laughs> she was in the wrong yeah. and and they were in in the right to try to rectify that issue and, and the the visibility i think is something important to maybe talk about too like if you're not living in a core ward if you're not living in you know north central or downtown or heritage or cathedral you mm-hmm. maybe don't recognize it as as acutely like you haven't seen it as acutely but the last three years the poverty like the visible acute grinding poverty that people are living under is it has exploded like in in the years of the pandemic um and yeah i think if you're if you're a counselor who that's not your ward then you think that that's maybe not your problem which is absurd because it's a tiny city it's everyone's problem it's your problem Mm -hmm. um that people in your city do not have housing but i i also i think you know one of the things is is like I said earlier, counselors are elected by constituents. They they yeah. represent us. And so, you know, some of them, they, they make decisions that I don't particularly like a lot of the time. But I think that they're also getting feedback from the people that they represent that leads them to these decisions often, right, where they're that that they're willing to make decisions that I think are, you know, inhumane or that are absurd or, or whatever, um, in part because they're listening to their constituents. Yeah. And forgive me, like, this is a bit of a tangent. But yeah. at, at the beginning, you know, when this last council was elected um, in 2020, I kind of I wrote a story, another story for the Sask Dispatch, um, and uh, about the elections. And I made I, I misidentified in that story um what was the important story out of that election and, and i i thought you know hmm. we elected these the these progressive labor endorsed counselors uh and that was an important story but i i kind of got caught up in the momentum of like we needed a win so bad the election the federal election was a bust the sas party had been re-elected the ndp barely put up a fight and here Regina was able to elect these four new progressives, or we thought at the time that they were all progressives. Uh, we know now how some of them turned out. But looking back now, like with the benefit of hindsight, I think that the actual story and a story that kind of indicates where we were as a city at the time and that sort of predicts where we're at now was Shobna Raiden's losing to Tarina Nelson in oh. Ward 7. Yeah. Um, Shobna is a woman of color. She's highly competent. She's deeply involved in the city. She was the only one of the RDLC candidates who didn't win her race. Uh, I think provincially Labour endorsed like 20 candidates. Uh, Only three of them were racialized. Only one of them, uh, Tony Head in PA, won their race. Um, And I I talked to Shobna for the article uh, after the election. She talked about how Labour had kind of taken a different strategy this time around. And they only endorsed candidates that they thought could win. An overwhelming majority of their candidates did win. They did a good job picking candidates, prepping candidates, running campaigns. And so that makes Shobna's loss even more meaningful because it was really clear that she was this candidate who could have, should have won. And I think at the time it was clear to everyone, it was very clear to me that Shobna lost because she was a woman of color. But I fumbled that. I did this disservice definitely to Shobna, but also I think to anyone who was reading my work 
for insight into what had happened because I didn't grasp the gravity of what it meant that with all of the resources and all of the momentum around the other candidates and with all of Shobna's experience and with the weakness of her opponent, that this city could not elect a progressive woman of color. And I didn't get it. And I should have. Um, I mean, I was writing about it. I was acknowledging that it had happened, but I didn't grasp that what had happened was Regina said, we will go this far and no farther. We will elect white people who want climate action. We will elect white people who are pro-queer, but we will not elect a woman of color who shares those same values. And so I, I think the story was like titled how progressives won the municipal elections in Saskatchewan, but like racism won. And I think that's what we're seeing with the lack of action on homelessness. We're seeing a city that's looking around and seeing that it's almost exclusively racialized and specifically indigenous people who are housing insecure homeless and, and deciding that that is fine. And so then we're seeing that reflected in how council makes its decisions. And we're seeing that reflected specifically in decisions that impact poor people and marginalized people. So, I mean, yeah, I, I have those same concerns that other city councillors won't play ball. But my bigger concern is that it's not just the councillors themselves. It's the councillors themselves acting on behalf of a city that is not prepared uh, or willing to actually do what it takes to be better. Wow. We're on 91.3 FM CJTR, Regina Community Radio, and we're the Queen City Improvement Bureau. I'm speaking with Alex Burrell from Sask Dispatch and Unmaking Saskatchewan podcast about uh, city politics stuff. Um, okay, that is a hell of an observation. When we go to council now, uh, it, it used to be when I started covering it, uh, it opened with a prayer. Uh, that stopped under Fougere. Uh, now it's every, every council meeting starts with the land acknowledgement. Uh, when Cowessis First Nations comes in, uh, working out like uh, servicing agreements and stuff with the city, uh, the city is, you know, very, very, very supportive of Cowessis. Uh, Namrand Housing is, has been for years trying to build a uh, housing development downtown. City Council has bent over backwards um, to, uh, to facilitate that, even though it has meant like six plus years of a parking lot instead of instead of actual action on housing from Namrand. I mentioned this because I think if you were to level the allegation that you've made uh, to council, they would point to things like this and say, we're not racist. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we are working really hard to help our Indigenous neighbours. Uh, and I think that if you were to say that in front of um, most people in Regina, I think they would have like similar rationalizations why that isn't true. So I kind of just wanted to bring this up because I think this is the kind of like pushback that you would get. Um, how would you respond? I think that one of the things, um, and, and I wanted to be, you know, explicit when I was making calling it an allegation. Now I'm like, holy God, I did. I made an allegation. I leveled mm -hmm. an allegation against my peers in the city. Um, but I, I wanted to really stress with that too, that I missed it. When I wrote the story, right. I missed how important this particular development was. And I think that it's one of those things where I don't think that it's necessary. Like you don't have to be an actively racist person, right? Like you don't have to be a person who wants Indigenous people to live on the street. You don't have to be a person who wants poverty. Like you don't, that doesn't have to be an active thing. But 
there are these things that can happen in in your mind where you will rationalize certain things, where you will rationalize certain things um, to reach your own ends, to meet your own ends. Just like I rationalized when I was writing that story, when I when I was like acknowledging that Shobna had lost, acknowledging that it was pretty interesting that the only person who lost was a woman of color um, and still not grasping what that meant, right? Like it's taken me three years to get to a point where I recognize, oh, actually this was bigger than I realized at the time. So I don't think like, I'm not saying that people in Regina are walking around just actively filled with hate and, and wanting their neighbors to suffer or anything like that. I think that what happens is you start to look and you're like, well, I'm playing the long game here. And what that means is that we have to put this like housing thing aside for a bit until we can get the city to a place where it's more prosperous, or we need to put this aside for a bit until we can get to a place where we, we, the arena is bringing in money, whatever, right? Like you, you make these rationalizations in your mind that I don't think you are actually intending to be hateful. I don't think you're actually intending to be a a person who wants to cause harm, but they're rationalizations that you wouldn't necessarily make if you were coming to it from a perspective um, that wasn't just, you know, like we're all impacted by colonialism here. We're all impacted by racism here. And we all think in and process our reality in ways that are, are, reflect that you know so like this is not me being like regina is a terrible city um and and everybody here is is hateful it's me just saying i think that sometimes we're making decisions without actually thinking about where those impulses come from or or where what where that's rooted so that's what i would i would say but i think you're you're correct um that people would push back and i think they'd be right too um but i i would i would still stand by what i said I think with um, the Shobna situation, uh, I hate to refer to it like that, <laughs> but uh, so much of voting in a city council election uh, is from ignorance. Uh, mm-hmm. I think, first of all, we have like incredibly low voter turnouts. So I think it's, you know, around 20%, right? Uh, you're going to have, uh, and in this last election, we saw a lot of very uh, motivated um progressive people who came out to vote. And I think that's why you did see a lot of progressive candidates uh, get elected or labor endorsed, whether they were progressive or not is, is up for debate. But then you're going to also have like the vast swath of people who go into the election because they feel they should, and they ought to, perhaps they have concerns about the potholes on their street or uh, the water service to their house, but they don't really know anything beyond that. So they're going to be going in to vote for the mayor and their council uh, person is probably not going to be somebody that they're necessarily very familiar with their politics or where they stand on anything. And I think then they're going to be picking a name kind of almost at random. So they're going to pick a name that sounds familiar to them and they know how to pronounce. And um, it's an odd kind of racism. It speaks more to sort of like an insularity maybe mm-hmm. like uh, uh, not having like sort of like a, a broader experience from sort of this, uh, you know, from this like one corner of Saskatchewan that we live in. So um, yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's a difficult thing to confront that you kind of have to. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know how to think about it. Like how do you, how do you convince people that uh, maybe learn a little bit about your candidate and maybe not be so scared by collections of letters that, that are unfamiliar to you. Yeah. 
And I, I don't know the second one. I don't quite know, um, except like go to your local library and read a book um, or two. <laughs> but like the, the first one, I think there's something to be had, like to express to people how important municipal politics is because yeah. people, you know, you really focus on the federal politics and then the provincial politics and people really, I think, leave municipal politics out to dry like it's like well the city is small and so it's small but it's like no those people have so much power over our lives right and and so yeah. much power over decision making and it is really really important to have a strong council and i think that trying to express that to people like not and and that means and this is something that i mean you do on your twitter this is something that I think we're seeing some more journalists start to do in the city, but to really emphasize how important this stuff is and, and mm -hmm. the gravity of the decisions that these people have the power to make. Because I, I think like municipal politics is not sexy. Politics in general, not particularly sexy, but like municipal politics in particular is like uniquely unsexy. Um, you're talking about uh, mill rate increases and stuff like that. But yeah. I, I think, really trying to emphasize to people how important it is, like how how much these people have influence over what happens in our city. I, I think that that is something that would go a long way towards boosting that kind of turnout and um, getting people to care more. Absolutely. Okay, well, we are actually uh, out of time for this half and we have to move on to innovative revenue tools. Um, but uh, yeah, awesome. Thanks for that. And you'll be around for the second half. So, sure. excellent. And on that, we will go to innovative revenue tools. And we're back from innovative revenue tools. Uh, this is the Queen City Improvement Bureau, and we're here with Alex Burrell from the SAS Dispatch. Hey, Alex, you want to talk about water pressure? You know I do, Paul. <laughs> Speaking of unsexy things that are important... <laughs> Water pressure. So apparently the water pressure on the east side of the city um, is terrible. I have not experienced it myself, but apparently uh, uh, it's you, you can't get your the conditioner out of your hair in the shower some days and the water comes out like a trickle. Apparently it's much worse in the summertime uh, when everybody's watering their lawns. Oh. Yeah. And it's just on the east side. Uh, and so this would be uh, especially impacting the newest neighborhoods. So this would be out in Arcola East, especially like Greensville Garden or the towns, the creeks, those like neighborhoods that uh, are relatively new, these suburbs. Uh, so the city has deemed as part of the, uh, their, their water system upgrades that we need a new water storage and pumping facility uh, to serve, well, to basically get water to the east of the city. Um so we actually did this already with the Northwest in anticipation of building Coopertown, which is a suburb that'll be as big as like Moose Jaw and then some. Uh, so we realized that we needed to get like a water solution there. So, uh, but we didn't do this for the East. And so they're basically drawing water uh, off of like sort of the main grid that serves the core and the other existing neighborhoods. Uh, the problem of this is, is that by like 2026, if we don't do something about water pressure in the East, they may not be able to get water to fire hydrants out there. And that's against like laws and stuff. So uh, they have this thing called the Eastern Pressure Solution Funding. And it, they, they, 
the Eastern pressure solution is to like make sure that the water is getting out to the east, but it's kind of an all city problem because if we can't get water out to the east, we can't do any more development anywhere. We can't build any new homes. We can't increase density in the core. We can't build new, uh, we can't build Harbor Landing part two might not happen if we don't do this. Right. So, but this was supposed to be paid for by development charges. We have these like uh, servicing agreement fees that are supposed to cover all new infrastructure development to serve these suburbs. And a developer pays into this fund when they're building a new suburb and this fund is there. So when the city needs to build infrastructure to serve them, we have the cash and admin is coming to council saying that fund is going to be bankrupt by the end of this year. There's no money in it. We can't afford to pay for the Eastern pressure solution. And so that led to uh, this happening at council. Councillor Fendora. Three minutes, Mayor? Three minutes. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to throw this out. The model growth pays for growth. I know when we defer, when we defer projects, we know what happens. We've been telling the residents, uh, the taxpayer, that growth will pay for growth. And so here we go. Again, we're going to be asking for whatever, however you come up with the taxpayers to pay for more of the growth. I understand it's the whole city, but as you remember going, being here for a while, uh, that question always pops up. And the discussion was back then, we were quite high on things saying growth will pay for growth. So uh, just want to say that. And if anyone has any kind of a comment, I know I've heard before, but we, we haven't done something we should have. That's yesterday country. We need to look to the future. I understand that. But could someone make a comment about what happened to our, our model growth for growth, growth pays for growth? I have a comment, Councillor Fendura. <laughs> growth never paid for growth. It was a Ponzi scheme all along. And this is the sound of that Ponzi scheme collapsing. It happened. The Ponzi scheme fell apart. So we found out from the city's financial officer that the model we had to pay for suburban growth only works if we continue to grow at the rate we've been growing, if we keep building new suburbs. So it has to be new hectares. If we don't do that, we can't pay for growth. It, it, it's all coming down on people's heads. And people who were saying this 15 years ago, that this was all a Ponzi scheme and were laughed at for being nut jobs, they're having their day of vindication. <laughs> I'm just imagining city council just filled to the brim with boxes of unsold Lululemon leggings, <laughs> like just this in, entire MLM scam that is now coming down on the heads of people living in the in the east part of the city who can't get their conditioner out of their hair. But yeah. I'm listening to this. I'm like, I'm like, what growth will pay for growth? Yeah. I, but I, I don't. Do you, do you expect infinite growth, John? Like, is I, I, yeah, they 100% did. <laughs> it would ne- there would never be a pause, never be a pause in the population growth of Saskatchewan because that's never happened before. His, 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 his bafflement, his consternation, uh, in that clip, I really appreciated. Like, that, yeah. where, where, and it's like, well, I don't know. I feel like, buddy, you came in with a pretty unrealistic expectation there Uh, yeah yeah and well 
in 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 Fendura's defense, the administration who were supposed to be the um, the experts on this were adamant that this servicing agreement fee uh, model that they had developed was going to cover all of our infrastructure concerns, and we'd never have to go back to the taxpayer. And the Eastern Pressure Solution, which is like tens of millions of dollars, um, it is they're asking for an extra fifty three million dollars for this for this facility and. Uh, if they were to do it correctly, like they wanted a two tank, I, I don't even pretend to know what this thing, does, how it works. It involves pumps, pipes, and tanks. They're, they're asking for one tank, but they really need two tanks. So if they got their two tanks, it would cost $78 million. This is going to have to come out of property taxes. Uh, we don't have the reserves to cover this, which is technically also property taxes or debt. And we actually, at the same meeting, just increased our debt limit by like three hundred, another three hundred million dollars. So it, it's it's basically coming down on the heads of everybody to fund this uh, this Eastern Pressure Solution, which is really it's crucial now, not because we grew, but because we built suburbs on the east end of city that are really far away from where our water is coming from, and our water to begin with is coming from Moose Jaw. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Paul, would mm-hmm. would we be able to if we had if we had a downtown arena, would yeah. the tickets for the downtown arena be able to pay for the Eastern Pressure Solution? Gosh, I don't know. I don't know. Although that arena is very tank like, we could perhaps <laughs> in the summertime when the when the Pats aren't playing there, the next Connor Bedard isn't cutting up the ice. <laughs> We could fill it up with water so that the people in the East could water their lawns. There we go. There we go. Um, is this lack of water? Is this new or is this something that they could have or should have foreseen when they were building the East side of the city? hundred percent. They should have foreseen this. And I don't know why this. Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know why it wasn't dealt with ages ago. And I mean, they foresaw it with the Northwest, which hasn't even been built yet. We've got like a few buildings out there, but they are like, they're set. Uh, and yet uh, the rest of the city just isn't. So, hmm. yeah, I think they were cutting a corner to, yeah. so that they could get the East built. And uh, now it's coming to bite us in the ass. And then they thought that growth would pay for the growth. Uh, but exactly. now, now it's not. Oh, yeah. Geez. Who could have yeah. who could have possibly imagined uh, yeah. that you would end up in this predicament? Nobody, nobody. <laughs> this is completely unforeseeable. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, that wasn't the only thing that happened at the last city council meeting. Uh, I, there's been another integrity commissioner complaint. So this all started last year. Uh, Councillor Stevens lodged a integrity complaint against Councillor Tarina uh, Nelson, who was at that time Shaw, and uh, that. Um, that went somewhere. And then Councillor Nelson basically said, I have a brain injury and it means that I have uh, impulse control issues. And so, uh, you know, I have a habit of saying things that I probably shouldn't and I'm working on it. That kind of passed for an apology. So council opted to do nothing. Well, here we are, not even a year later, Councillor Tarina Nelson has lodged an integrity complaint against Councillor Stevens, who lodged that integrity complaint against her. Apparently what happened, was um, Stevens's complaint was actually quite long, and uh, it included a whole bunch of things that were not considered that the, that the integrity commissioner just rejected. Said this is not within my mandate to consider, so I'm not going to look at it. And in the end, she only looked at that one thing where Councillor Nelson said something that was mean 
about counselors Zakidniak and Stadnichuk. So, um, yeah. So the narrative became that Councillor Stevens was white knighting and was thin skinned was a thin skinned academic in his ivory tower. This leftist who needs to like grow some stones if he's going to be a politician. And yet the fact that there was like this much longer complaint that nobody ever got to see. Well, he emailed it to the city manager, the city solicitor and the city clerk and said, guys, I, you know, these are important things. I think that these should have been considered. What's the deal with the integrity commissioner? But he also apparently accidentally included the lift serve email for all of city council. And the email included his original complaint with everything that he had listed about Tarina uh, Shaw slash Nelson. This was deemed by the integrity commissioner to be. So Nelson brought a complaint saying this was a violation of uh, confidentiality. And the integrity commissioner said, yeah, it is. Uh, apparently, not only was it like bad to like send it to all of council, but apparently um, Stephen said that he thought that the city, like especially the clerk and the solicitor would have and city manager would have been covered by the, you know, the cone of silence of confidentiality. And so he could like speak to them about this, frankly, and could trust that they would not um, do anything. But apparently, no, according to the uh, integrity bylaw, there is no uh, exemption for those three uh, officers of the city. So that was also a violation of of confidentiality. So uh, yeah, it was found that he had violated confidentiality and he should, because this is what we do in our city now. We write letters of apology to one another. And so he was supposed to write a letter to Tarina Shaw. I wanted to play for you. Uh, Councillor, sorry, Mayor Masters was asked Councillor Shaw when it was her turn to speak why she brought this complaint against Councillor Stevens. And I think that it is worth a listen. Do any members of council have any questions of Councillor Nelson? Councillor Nelson, I have one. Why did you bring this application forward? I wasn't going to. I didn't feel that a breach of confidentiality of something that he wrote against me was a big deal. It was, I could have cared less if the newspaper got it and, and showed it to everybody. It was just a bunch of rubbish. But throughout the year, I heard a counselor come to me that said, I believe that Councillor Stephen has breached confidentiality, but we can't prove it. So I sat there and I felt guilty because I knew I could prove it. Another counselor came to me. We have had discussions within our council, within our, within our counselors, a breach of confidentiality. I felt guilty that I knew of a breach of confidentiality. I could prove that breach of confidentiality and that I, as a responsible elected official, did not do my job by reporting this. Um, thank you. In terms of confidentiality, what are the repercussions of something like this? This report, obviously nothing, it's just my my credibility within the city, which I mean, he has totally been able to demolish um, based on lies and, and, and misinformation. But when it comes, it's important when it comes to land deals, when it comes to the integrity of our city, building of our city. Um, we talked about this today. If, if somebody knew about us building more water treatments, would that be something that we could disclose? 
Confidentiality is vitally important for the success and the moving forward of our city when it comes to business and growth. And us, as a council, we need, I believe we need, our residents to know that when something is said to us, when confidentiality is given to us, we respect that and we respect the oath that we took when we entered into the office. Thank you. One last question. Uh, one of the recommendations within uh, Mr. Langard's report is that Councillor Stevens provide you with a written apology to settle the matter. Do you want one? Yes. Thank you. I'll ask you to return to the gallery. That is was... a rich text. <laughs> Explain. Okay, so first of all, the first thing I notice is that she's no longer calling him Councillor Andrews. She's calling him <laughs> Councillor Stephen now. Oh, good point. Um, yeah, so I didn't catch that. That kind of kind of irrelevant to the whole thing. Um, the other thing is that apparently a bunch of people are coming to her and telling her that there's been these breaches of confidentiality, and she thinks that it's Councillor Stephen. Um, and she, she knows this and it's like eating her up inside. I want I wonder who those counselors are. And I also find it interesting that that is something that the mayor has said. The mayor has said that she has believed that there have been leaks from council, um, or that there are people that, uh, it, within council who are disclosing private information. Um, and the, the third thing I, that I, I find very interesting is she's talking about it like integrity um, and, and confidentiality. And last month, she on Twitter shared a picture of the inside of one of her constituents' home, of the backyard of one of her constituents' homes, and his address on Twitter publicly and told people to come over. I don't know if she had permission from him. Even if she did have permission from him, though, she should not have been doing that. And it's very interesting to me what she thinks is information that a city councillor has an obligation to keep to themselves and what she thinks is information that a city councillor can freely disclose to the public uh, for whatever reason. So anyway, that was that's a, an amazing an amazing clip. Um I hope that she gets her apology letter and that it just uh heals her heart because gosh, she needs it. Well, uh, would you like to hear what Councillor Stevens responded with? <laughs> I, I, I would. I'll just admit here that this was a two-part error on my part and I accept responsibility as I've done so already. For this mishap, I apologize to Councillor Nelson as we left chambers when Councillor discussed the matter in private. And at the time, it was my assumption that the Councillor and I had forged a positive working relationship. I was wrong. If I wanted to cause reputational harm to the Councillor, I would have posted the report on social media or shared it with the media as I was asked to do. Humiliating the Councillor was never my intention. It certainly is not now. Ironically, this integrity complaint is doing more to make these matters public than sending the original report to Council. Misinterpreting the code and accidentally informing my colleagues is very different than, say, leaking a private Council motion to the press, which happened very recently. And honestly, a simple email would have resolved the matter from the start, since the process is not meant to be punitive. And I thought we had moved on. 
Evidently, the counselor had other plans and chose to advance a complaint months after the incident for the sake of reprisal, in my opinion. If counsel decides that the most expensive email mistake in counsel history warrants discipline, that's your prerogative. But the apology is another matter. Whatever remorse I had initially uh, possessed has since evaporated. The counselor recently took to social media to say things about me which were both absurd and untrue. They caused no offense and I initially believed that the Twitter account to be a parody because of what was said. But it tells me that the commissioner process is being weaponized by the counselor and for that I'm not in the position to offer a meaningful apology. Instead I will offer an apology to counsel for how much time and energy this vexatious complaint has caused and for that I am really sorry. However, especially since the issue could have been resolved with an email from the city solicitor or clerk a year ago, I think that would have been a more effective approach to dealing with this concern. Happy to answer any questions you might have. Thank you very much. Councillor Stevens, a member of council, have a question. Councillor LeBlanc. Thank you. <clears throat> Councillor Stevens, I understand you intentionally replied and <clears throat> attached the report to city solicitor, city manager, city clerk, accidentally to council. My question is, why did you intentionally send it to city clerk, city solicitor, city manager through the chair? So, again, you know, when I thought of who was in the realm of what is confidential, I assumed it would be them. That was an error. There were a number of matters in my initial complaint that I believed required further investigation, and I thought the process that the integrity commissioner followed was sloppy, to be pretty honest with you. There were issues related to the harassment of staff, the offering of dishonest apologies to the public, disrespecting residents at a homeless camp, suggesting in public and in council that some of our council colleagues were in a conflict of interest related to a development project, and having witnessed the integrity commissioner complaint from different sides, there's different standards of proof. What I found in the commissioner's response was simply, in some cases, I don't have the time to go through this evidence. The video online was not effective, and so I just stopped watching it. And so I was concerned with that. And so really the intention was to suggest to the city solicitor that when it came time to considering who we appoint as an integrity commissioner, these factors should be considered. Drama! Right? <laughs> so I love how in Councillor Nelson's uh question and answer she was able to like level accusations at stevens for like these like mysterious uh violations of confidentiality and then in stevens's he basically just got to you know outline what was in this this confidential complaint that the public wasn't supposed to know anything about it's all out there on the table for everybody to sort of we all know now what that what was going on yeah, I find that very interesting. And I mean, you could really, I think, and, and I, I, this isn't a conspiracy theory show, but you could certainly sit back and think about the kinds of decision, the, the decision making that led us to here to where this is like publicly disclosed um, yeah. in a way in which that is like not a violation. Um, I find that very interesting. The things that he listed off as being in his, uh, his integrity complaint, 
uh, Nelson disrespecting residents in a homelessness camp. I remember that incident. It was reported, uh, you know, in the media. There uh, was like disrespecting counselors, uh, this like accusation that they were involved in some kind of, that they had like some kind of their hands in some kind of land deal. Like, I remember all these things. Like, none of this stuff was particular, like, none of this was secret. Like this all happened. It was just, you know, one counselor had been taking notes. Counselor Nelson uh, doesn't seem to care particularly that everybody's being reminded about her legacy. Cause that's, I remember back in the olden days of this city council where it was like every week there was something else that Nelson had done. Like mm-hmm. we, we all kind of know what she was doing and what she's capable of and the way that she was gumming up the works with a lot of the sort of outrageous stuff that she was doing. So yeah, she did. She seemed to have a mellowing out period where I was like, did somebody have like yeah. a talk with her? Like, what, like, did a yeah. lawyer have a talk with her? Um, yeah. But then she seems to be on an upswing again recently with, yeah. you know, saying and doing more things where you're like, Tarina, uh, yeah. you got to rein it in. Um, so, I, I, yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I found it interesting, too, that she... Her her accusations against Stevens were that he had like sullied her reputation or whatever. But it was like Trina, these are all things you did. Like we all know yeah. that you did these things because we watched or or said these because we watched you. We watched yeah. you say them in council. We we read it, reported in the news at the time that it happened. So I I find that very very interesting. Like an interesting way to frame that, I guess, for yourself. Um, that. It's like, don't speak ill of the dead. And it's like, well, you're just, you're not speaking ill of the dead. You're just saying the things that the dead person did, right? right. And it's like, nobody's speaking ill of you, Dorina. They're just saying things that you've done and said. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the reasons that Angela Crook didn't uh, deal with a lot of Councillor Stevens's concerns was that a lot of them happened within council. Mm-hmm. And uh, she mentioned this. Uh, she gave like a report to end the year for her, and uh, she mentioned that you know uh, that's a loophole in the integrity uh, uh, bylaw that she doesn't actually have any jurisdiction over council meetings. That's the chair's job. So she, if if a councillor or the chair says something horrible, the integrity commissioner has no jurisdiction to do anything right. about it. And a lot of these things were done in council. And there's a public record, like you can just go to YouTube and see all of these things very easily. Um, Hopefully this is done because the way that things voted, uh, council voted to not apply any kind of censure against Councillor Stevens over any of this. Uh, The only person to vote in favor. So incidentally, um, the last time when Councillor Nelson uh, said, I have a brain injury, uh, there was... Council voted not to do anything. Only the mayor voted in favor of uh, some kind of censure against Councillor Nelson. So uh, she said to be consistent, she voted for Councillor Stevens to write the letter, but she was the only person to do so. So uh, yeah, it's all over this at this point, uh, unless somebody decides to file a grievance complaint because uh, uh, an integrity complaint, because that seems to be what we, we do now. Yeah, great. Love it. I love yeah. it for us. Uh, I I really do. I, you know, I, one of the things about these like apology letters and stuff like that is I'm like, I, I would like an apology, like as a, as a citizen, I would like an apology from a lot of these people for the time that they are wasting, right? Like for the time that they're spending for the sniping 
for the just like a, a lot of generally unprofessional behavior, things like this. And these are, you know, like broad concerns. And I, and I think when you're working together in, in a high pressure environment, like people do snipe and, and things like that. Like we've all had issues at, at work where, you know, you get stressed out and stuff like that. So like, I, I do understand it. Like I do understand that it's very difficult, especially in, if you're like in a political environment and, and an environment where, you have interests that are different than your colleagues or, or whatever. Right. Um, but God, like this is, it's too much. It, it's too much sniping. Yeah. It's too much um, yeah. in fighting and, and things like that. And it's just, uh, you hate to see it. It has definitely been an interesting, an interesting two years. And uh, God, has like it, it only been two years? Yeah. Just a little bit over two years. Whew. Anyways, on that note, we are pretty much out of time here. Uh, yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Alex, for coming in. I really appreciate it. I had a blast. Uh, oh, good. Very, very glad to come. Yeah. This has been the Queen City Improvement Bureau on 91.3 FM CJTR, Regina Community Radio. Your solo host has been Paul DeShane. I'm certain Aiden will reconstitute himself in time for our next meeting. Huge thanks to our guest, Alex Burrell. Music is by Ryan Hill, a.k.a. Guidewire. You can find more of his music at guidewire.bandcamp.com. Find us online at queencityib.com, or you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you prefer to get your podcasts. Coming up next, if it's Monday night, it'll be music, 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 and then the Lunar Lounge at 11. Or if you're listening to us on a Monday morning, Coming up, it's The Basement with the Mighty Darbar. That's it. Thanks for listening. Keep on improving, Regina. And now for some Queen City Improvement Bureau bonus content. Earlier, we played a clip of Councillor John Findura seeming perplexed by the failure of the city's growth pays for growth model. What we didn't have time to play is the answer provided by Barry Lacey, the city's Executive Director of Financial Strategy and Sustainability. What Mr. Lacey provides isn't just a technical response to Councillor Fendura's question, but is, as he indicates, his own personal reflection on the old growth model. Love it or hate it, Growth Pays for Growth was built around the idea that property taxes should cover the cost of renewing existing infrastructure, while the cost of building sprawl shouldn't be shouldered by residents in existing neighborhoods. Based off Lacey's personal reflection, though, we get a pretty good picture of how our chief financial officer, if he had his druthers, might like to diverge from that. Have a listen. discussion was back then we were quite high on things saying growth will pay for growth so uh, just want to say that and if anyone has any kind of a comment I know I've heard before well we, we haven't done something we should have that's yesterday country we need to look to the future I understand that but could someone make a comment about what happened to our our model growth for growth growth pays for growth mayor oh, miss Bryden mr. Lacey you're up So through you, Mayor Masters, I'm, I'm going to make a few comments. To some extent, they're my own personal reflection uh, of, of where we're at. And um, once again, I think this is one of the questions this SAF review that we keep coming back and talking about is going to need to address. So I would take a it's a little bit my perspective on the matter, and Ms. Bryden may, may add to it or, or, or might have a different perspective. Uh, 
when I first came to the city, that was a phrase often used, growth pays for growth. And um, I think when you look at some of the challenges we have in the SAF model, I'm not sure in today's environment that we have that 100% right. The growth pays for growth happened at a time, and that model was developed, I think, beginning 10 plus years ago when we had significant growth happening in the city, and it didn't look like that rate of growth was going to end. If anything, it was going to accelerate. I, when, when you talk about growth pays for growth, myself personally, I think I, as a tax-paying citizen here in the city of Regina, benefit by growth. And so, and I, and I receive a benefit from growth, whether that's additional retail opportunities, additional recreational opportunities, because we're a larger city as a result of growth, and all the benefits you see in larger cities, I benefit that as a current taxpayer. And so, in our current environment, by placing all the costs of growth on new development, I think it potentially creates some challenges. Challenges from the perspective of, are we uncompetitive? Because of the co that cost that we charge as a service agreement fee for that growth pays for growth model, that goes directly to the cost of that land development and whoever eventually purchases that land or the building on that land, they're the ones that are actually paying for it. And so are we competitive with other jurisdictions depending on what that model and what that pricing looks like? And so I'm... And, and so this is what the review, I think, is going to be looking at, one of the questions. And I think that's going to be a discussion and a debate that council has to have, is um, do all of us that are existing property owners, do we benefit by growth? And if we benefit by growth, is there a reason and a rationale that we, in part, need to be investing in growth as well as current taxpayers uh, of the city? Because we're going to see the benefits of that, as opposed to putting that entire cost on new growth development opportunities. And if you price yourself out of the market, so to speak, well, then you're not going to see growth. And so I think it is a balancing act, and all, and all I'm saying is I'm not sure that the model that we have today necessarily um, is the right model for the economic environment that we're in. But I don't want to prejudge the outcome of that, that review. I think that review needs to take its own course. But those are some of the questions I think that need to be answered. Uh, Ms. Bradley.